May reaches beneath her bolsters and pillows for the coiled strip of linen, letting it unspool between her thighs. She wraps it around her naked chest, once, twice, swaddling the mouse-soft flesh, ignoring the needling pain in her baby breasts, tugging the knot beneath her armpit. She pulls a shift over the top, a bodice over that, and looks down to see whether it will do for another day. Her soon-to-be womanhood disguised beneath the layers of linen. Pulling on stockings, petticoats and apron, she glances around for her slipped shoes. They've been kicked beneath the bed, and she crouches for them. After washing her hands and face at the basin, she brushes her hair, pins it up, and covers it with her coif, tying the straps beneath her chin. Already she perspires. Chamber pot in hand, she pauses at the door, listening for sounds of father praying in his own chamber. He paces when communing with God, naked as a newborn, as if he hasn't a thing to hide. In the winter, his lips are blue by the time he's finished, his hollowed cheeks mottled, as if the saints have been slapping him about the face. A warm draught rushes beneath the door, across her feet, and May holds her breath as she listens for father, calculating his whereabouts in the house. She prefers to make a start on the day before he has roused himself, to please him by getting ahead. But sometimes he hardly sleeps at all, and she'll find him at dawn, hunched in the kitchen by a guttering candle, more intractable than ever. It is not just his irritation she's forced to endure on those days, but his bitterness. It is God that bestows a good night of sleep, and Father must juggle with his conscience when rest is denied. There are no remnants of a sleepless night, though, when she descends into the kitchen. Nothing to suggest he spent the night poring over Malaeus Maleficarum, the hammer of witches. That tattered book is never far from his thoughts, the oft-thumbed pages tearing from their stitching. Moths flutter at the kitchen window, and the mice are unhurried in their searching of the pantry floor for the tiniest of crumbs. At the hearth, in amongst the ash, May finds the tiniest of trembling embers. A loose pile of dry grass, a breath or two, and the fire is started. She arranges some kindling, a faggot, then she stands, lulled for a moment by the sight of the flames, comforting even on a summer morning. She's reluctant to turn away to her morning duties of dough-making, hen-feeding, vegetable chopping, but she coaxes herself with the promise of herbs and alchemy later on. The proper work of the household will begin after breakfast and prayers. The grinding of Jesuit's bark, millipedes or senna. The pressing of pills. The soaking of wood lice in boiled oil. She will be the hands that father cannot do without. And with every turn of the pestle in the mortar she will toil with the task of convincing him that she would make a worthy apprentice. The dough is proving by the time father comes down the stairs. He has to stoop through the doorway into the kitchen, 
his greying hair falling in front of his face as he does so. He pushes it behind his ears, rubbing gingerly at his hands. May fetches him a mug of ale from the pantry, and then she brings two slices of bread and butter, one for each of them. They sit together at the table and eat, and when they've finished, Father administers a tincture which he fetches from the pantry, several drops beneath her tongue. He never, these days, announces what he has chosen for her, in what way he perceives her humours require adjustment. He simply comes towards her with the earthenware jar in one hand and a bone spoon in the other, and she is careful not to flinch from him. The taste of it spreads in her mouth, all burgundy and blood-red. Lemon balm and nettle, she says, just loud enough for him to hear. <laughs>